podcast sponsored by the Interdependence uh, Network. Uh, Interdependence Network is a virtual community of practice, uh, individuals all over the world that are interested in um, inclusion and macro change. Um, you can find the Interdependence Network at the website www.buildingsocialcapital.org. Um, the uh, podcast, Call Me Out podcast, is, uh, is produced by Side Project Incorporated, which is a uh, legal uh, support uh, system available for, uh, for um, any answering any questions or aligning with any nonprofit organizations that are really looking at, uh, at um, you know, legal purviews. And um, it's underwritten by Connect Community. Connect Community is a uh, brain injury uh, service system, residential brain injury service system, uh, both in British Columbia as well as in Ontario. We appreciate their support. They, they do wonderful programs and services. And today we have a great, um, a, a great uh, conversation um, uh, um, that we've planned for you because we're really uh, going to focus in with uh, Genia Stevens. And Genia is um, an um, advocate extraordinaire um, in, uh, in Canada, actually around the world. And, and um, I've come to know over the last five, six years, I've uh, come to know Genia very well from the work that she's been doing with the Good Things in Life uh, system and the Good Things in Life podcast that Genia sponsors and, and, and runs and, and dives into some really, really engaging uh, issues. Um, Genia is uh, not just a disability rights advocate, but a family member, uh, both as a sibling as well as a mom, and um, has uh, um, been very involved in healthcare issues uh, for, for many, many years, serving as a midwife. She's uh, finishing up her master's in science um, in evidence-based healthcare at Oxford University. So uh, we really appreciate Genia. Uh, being able to join us today. Gina, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me out. It's really a pleasure and it's an honor and I'm so glad to be here today. And it's a lovely break in my day. <laughs> so thank you. Yeah. And in fact, here we are, um, you know, on, uh, on this podcast and we're both um, audio recording it and video recording it. Um, that we'll put up on YouTube as well as uh, on the audio portion on iTunes uh, and, and on our website, the Interdependence Network website. But we're in the throes of a pandemic. And, you know, all around the world, there are stay-at-home orders and uh, people are working from their homes. And, and uh, it, it, these are really, really strange times, aren't they, Gina? They, they really are. And you can tell that it's a work from home kind of situation because of the way I'm showing up for this, uh, <laughs> for this interview dressed in my mom's slouchy sweater that she left here at Christmas. And I haven't seen her for weeks and weeks. And so I yeah. comfort myself by, by wearing her sweater um, and the pajama pants that you can't see. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's one of the things, you know, one, one of the interesting things about doing uh, audio-based podcast is that all you have to do is just make sure you have a sweater on or something uh, right. viable. You can be in your pajama bottoms, I think, like mes- most of us are when when we do these kinds of events. Absolutely. And the other intriguing thing is, uh, um, you know, and, and and this is also on the news, not just pod- audio-based podcast, but 
um, and video-based podcasts, but um, news reports and whatnot where people are interviewed from their homes and you get a chance to sort of see their living room or their office or their den. And, and mm-hmm. so we're peeking into your uh, office uh, with the map of the world behind you and some of the books uh, that you're, uh, uh, that you're uh, reading and, and referencing in, in the work that you do. Eugenia, tell us a little bit about the good things in life system that you've created Mm-hmm. Um, what good things in life is and does, uh, how it provides um, uh, advice, counsel, support uh, to families, uh, self-advocates, and and other folks interested in disability-related issues. Sure. Well, good things in life really came about in some ways because of my um, because of the gap that I have observed as a midwife and. Um, have kids with disabilities so I grew up in a disability positive community I had the very good fortune because of my mom who is a fierce um, advocate a parent advocate herself to be exposed to and have relationships with and learn from thought leaders around the world um, yourself included and many of your good friends and and colleagues and so when I became a parent of a child with a disability i I knew that my um, my experience was different than other parents you know i wasn 't starting from scratch uh, but over the years as a practicing midwife and and supporting other parents, it just became really, really clear how big that gap was between the advantages that I had as a parent um, compared to other people. And it also became clear to me that, you know, when my mom, who didn't know anybody with a disability, when my sister was born and diagnosed, um, when she was first trying to uh, explore the disability world, um, you know, it was probably a family doctor who gave her a phone number. Maybe she looked it up in the yellow pages, which for some of your younger listeners, they may not even know what I'm talking about. (laughs) Um, But essentially it was a really, it was a fairly organic linear process of engagement. And in some ways you probably were advantaged or disadvantaged depending on what that first contact was yeah. you know now what happens is that um, the first point of contact for parents they get a diagnosis or the suspicion of a diagnosis and the first thing they do is go to google and they google the diagnosis and google gives them a list of complications mm-hmm. treatment modalities and facebook groups that are um framed around that diagnosis um, or that treatment those treatment modalities and then those groups tend to frame the conversation from there on in and so I, the other thing that is just really a, a reality is that it's still the case that very often after decades of work towards inclusive education, community involvement, um, valued social roles, it's still in, just incredibly common that kids approach the end of high school and all of a sudden the parents see that there's just an abyss awaiting for them there's nothing else after school and partially that's because the conversations that have been framed for that family probably started out with um you know doctors and therapists and then went into the education system which was all about you know special education um sometimes remediation 
you know, but there wasn't necessarily, there isn't often um, necessarily conversations about how to build a good life around a vision of, you know, a typical inclusive life in community. Mm -hmm. And so people end up really kind of abandoned and lost Mm -hmm. at the moment of high school graduation. So if, so good things in life came about because I felt more and more called to meet people early in their journey, you know, to connect with people really early in their parenting journey um, and to connect with people not around a a diagnosis or treatment modality, but around a shared vision of a good life and the good things in life for their kids with disabilities. And, um, And I wanted to do that by meeting parents where they are at the beginning of their journey, which is online. And so Good Things in Life is a mostly, at this point in um, its evolution, an online community and platform that offers uh, courses and um, a monthly implementation support membership, uh, a weekly podcast, and um, you know additional resource sharing opportunities. We also do um, monthly expert presentations. You've been a uh, guest twice now as a, as a monthly um, expert. And um, the podcast and the monthly presentations are free resources so that people really have the information and the support that they need to be able to think about building good lives, good inclusive lives at home, at school, and in the community. Mm-hmm. And, and how would, uh, you know, one of the things, that, one of the feedback that we get from, from, from this podcast is that uh, when we're talking with advocates and, and, and folks all over the world, um, and they'll, they'll reference, uh, you know, a resource uh, system or, or, they'll, or some, something that's been helpful either to them or something that they're doing. How might uh, a listener find what's the, what's, mm-hmm. is there, can you give us a, a website that would be uh, yes. useful for a listener? Yeah, so everything really can be found by going to the website at goodthingsinlife.org. Okay. And um, so the po- links to the podcast, you know, links to the really social easy. media channels, um, monthly, the monthly presentations all show up there as well. Um, and, but also the podcast is available on all your, you know, favorite podcast platforms as well. Great. Great, great. I know that uh, the um, the topics that you've um, engaged um, uh, with Good Things in Life, both from a podcast or an educational series efforts, are really the tough issues. Um, mm-hmm. They're the ones that uh, that really families and individuals uh, struggle with. And and I know you know the one recent one that uh, that we were involved in was really looking at relationships. Um, uh, and how relationships can be uh, enhanced um, in IEPs, in mm-hmm. individualized educational plans for families who have children with disabilities that are in the educational yeah. system. And that we, you know, we know, we all know that relationships really do matter. They make, they make that good life, um, you know, much more obtainable um, and, and yet in most educational platforms, um, relationships really aren't nurtured. Um, mm-hmm. Academics are nurtured and, you know, important information is nurtured, but, but relationships really aren't, you know, there, there's really not a, a lot of, not a um, dedicated effort to that. And I know, you know, you did an entire series looking at that. 
Um, mm -hmm. Also, the notion of staying connected in a pandemic, um, mm -hmm. uh, which really is useful information right now and maybe for the foreseeable future yeah. as we become reticent about reconnecting. Can you talk a little bit about some of the some of the ideas that you've generated in conversation related to staying connected in a time when we're restricted or when right. there are some limitations. Right. So, yeah, I'd love to. I mean, I think you you really hit the nail on the head. And it, I mean, you talk about social capital. It's, that's your that's your shtick, you know, that, yeah, yeah. that, that the good things in life, access to the good things in life, really are mediated by our social capital, by our relationships. But what's interesting is that relationships are not just the means, they're also the end, hmm. right? You know, when you think about the definition of the good things in life, our relationships are really at the core of how we measure whether or not, you know, we've got the good things in life. Mm -hmm. um, and um, so it really needs to be embedded in every aspect of our kids' lives for a few reasons. One, because there's nothing more important. Two, because frankly, it's hard. And so if you kind of approach it piecemeal, it's not, it's probably not going to have the thoroughness and the richness in your, in your child's life that you want for them. Mm -hmm. um, and, um, and three, because the more you focus on it, even the, even the sort of tenuous connections that get made really build the social capital that is uh, protective um, in people's lives that creates opportunities for people. Um, so beyond the richness that relationships themselves may bring to our life, um, they really do uh, keep the bad things at bay and invite good things into our lives. So right now in, um, I, well, maybe not right now, just in general, part of the reason why I was so excited to talk with you about um, having embedding i uh, excuse me embedding social capital on ieps is because as you said it hasn't been well attended to on the one hand i think over the decades of advocacy around inclusive education providing kids with social opportunities actually has been the focus of many parents and educators yeah. to the exclusion of academics, yeah. you know? And I think that um, as we've moved through the decades, what we've seen is that in some ways people can think about social opportunities in ways that they don't have the, the education or the resources to think about how we can actually provide high quality academics and high expectations around things like literacy for kids with significant intellectual disabilities. So I just want to give a plug to, yeah. you know, intellectual impairments um, but we don't necessarily do a great job at fostering relationships even while we give a lot of um, lip service to so social opportunities or you know that kind of socialization and social skills and those kinds of things even though one of the interesting things is that you know I my generation of school-age kids was kind of the first. Like my, my peers that had significant disabilities were some of the very first children mm -hmm. ever to enter the regular community school system. Um, perhaps, you know, perhaps 
with some exceptions yeah. when we had single, single school house, single school room, right. you right. know, schools kind of thing. I'm not really sure what was happening back then, but for the most part, it was my generation of kids that were the very first to, to break down the barriers and get into our community schools. And what was observed from, by our parents and by educators at the time is that even when inclusion wasn't done particularly well, and even when academics wasn't really being taught, there was still significant gains in the realm of social capital compared to kids that went to segregated and congregated programs. So even when it's done not so great, it's right. still building some social capital. Yes, yes. Now that's not of course going to be true. I can just hear people saying, well, this was like totally traumatizing for my kid and it was done yeah. really badly and there's yeah. no social. Sure. For sure. For sure. That ha- that that's legitimate. But we also know actually that while proximity is not enough, um, it's at least an opportunity that mm-hmm. can be built on. Mm-hmm. And right now we don't have proximity. Right. Yeah. So um, that's a great point. Excellent point. Yeah. So what we do have, though, that we haven't always had um, is technology, mm-hmm. which while it is not, it's not the same as being in person. And it's just, you know, I would much rather be having this um, conversation with you across, you know, a table with a, yeah. with a you know, a cup of tea. Yeah. It, it's still, we're still having this conversation yeah. and we can sup- use technology. We can use AAC to support kids to be connecting or people. Um, my, my focus is really at that early journey. So I'm referencing yeah. kids, but sure. Sure. support people um, to be connecting. The other thing that has always existed and continues to exist is just the, the, um, the concept of neighborliness and right now while we're in a we're in a time of social distancing physical distancing quarantine self-isolation all of those things we still have um, a need to take care of each other and people with disabilities along the age continuum have a tremendous amount that they can be offering that I think that we often are not offering and not prioritizing offering to the people in their community. And I think the other thing that the pandemic, because of the distancing and the shutdowns and the slowdowns and the, the widespread low grade general anxiety that I think most of us are experiencing, the opportunity that that creates for people with disabilities is tremendous because we really need collectively connection right now and very few of us are confused about that like I think we're all really clear about it and so the opportunity I believe I firmly believe that our chance the chances that our kids with disabilities have of receiving some sort of yes to their to their invitations to their to their efforts to connect, I think that chance is quite high right now. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think there's lots of opportunity uh, and I think it should be a really big priority without, without adding to people's plates unduly uh, to support people to connect right now. So one of the things that I've done is create the, um, originally I called it the end loneliness, called it the end loneliness challenge. Um, but I've shifted to talking about staying connected 
mm-hmm. getting and staying connected and trying to have that more positive shift. So um, people yeah. can check that out by uh, going to, um, I'm going to, I'm probably going to get this wrong. We may just have <laughs> to put it in your show notes, but I think the URL for that challenge um, is goodthingsinlife.org forward slash stay connected. Okay. You know, the Meow podcast and and uh, uh, that's uh, sponsored by the Interdependence Network, uh, produced by Side Project Incorporated, and underwritten by Connect Community. And we're having a fascinating conversation with Gina Stevens, um, an advocate, um, the initiator of the Good Things in Life Project uh, podcast, uh, educational series that's available uh, at their website, GoodThingsInLife.org. Um, uh, Jeannie, I'd like to just flip, just flip gears with you um, on on something that really kind of came to my mind yesterday. Um, I knew we were going to be having this talk uh, today, and and just last evening, you know, as we're all sheltering in place, watching documentaries and you know Netflix and uh, doing those kinds of things, I I watched a documentary uh, last evening called Crip Camp. Mm-hmm. It was on Netflix. And it was a documentary actually uh, produced by the Obamas, uh, by uh, President uh, Barack Obama and Michelle Obama. And um, it was, a, um, it was a, an overview of a, a camp that was run, a camp for kids with disabilities back in 1972 and 73 in New York uh, State. Um, the camp was called uh, Camp Jeanette, I think. And it was, uh, you know, just a, a, a summer camp for just kids with disabilities. And, of course, all the staff were prepared to do attendance supports and whatnot. And one of the things that, you know, the, the documentary sort of um, uh, highlighted and uncovered is that when, when these kids, and they interviewed, they interviewed, they had all this video from 1972 um, at, uh, at the camp. And they went back and interviewed, um, you know, the, the kids that were in the video and discovered that many of them really became these very articulate advocates for disability rights. And it, 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 they, they were able to track back all the disability rights um, progress that's been made in both in the United States and really around the world could be tracked back to some of the people that went to this camp, which was, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think the, you know, the, the, the key element of the documentary. And, and um, one of the things that, um, one of the things that they, they, they sort of implied in the documentary, and I would recommend people take a look at it on Netflix, but um, is that once people kind of got, when once they got uh, empowered, like they were, you know, they were out of their family homes and away from some of the overprotectiveness and uh, mm-hmm. and 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 you know some of the biases that that actually happen uh, to people with disabilities, <clears throat> they really got their they really got their their sort of their energy from that. They became empowered, and then they went out and really began to work with, uh, work for, for rights. And mm-hmm. wanted to just get your sense, you know, you you know, you focus in a lot on education and, uh, on the empowerment of younger people. And obviously we both talk a lot about how important social capital is, uh, to people having a good life, but this documentary sort of implied that 
that once folks get empowered, and it really took being away from this overprotection, being away from this sort of uh, assumptions that families made and society made about, about you know, folks' limits. Um, once they got a, a away from that, they really, they really got jacked. And I wanted to get your sense about the empowerment of, of, of young people with disabilities um, because I, I think what this show, we, we talk about inclusion and we're really passionate about that. We want kids with and without disabilities to be together and get to learn who each other is and all those good things. And, but this, this documentary sort of implied that it, it, it took this being away from, um, the community and being in sort of this cocoon of energy that then propelled them out. Yeah, I think that so I, I have not I've watched a lot of really terrible television and media. (laughs) (laughs) And I have kind of been holding on to Crip Camp as as something I'm going to give myself as a treat when I have a bit of downtime. So I have not yet watched it, although I've heard really, really amazing things about it. You know, I haven't yet seen the film. Right. I think it's really an interesting, it, it, it pulls out an interesting or presents an interesting conversation about the difference between segregated and congregated services yeah. um, and people pulling together in alliance mm-hmm. um, with each other. Mm-hmm. So across the board, across hu- the human experience, people coming together with people um, with whom they have either a shared identity or a shared life experience yeah. in a way that allows them to connect with each other outside of the um, external eye and observation of people, primarily people who are in some form or another, their oppressors. Yeah. Um, or who are external and create the reality. So for example, um, you know, you might argue that toddlers are not oppressors, but they certainly exert an external, um, an external pressure on the experience of moms, right? And so moms getting together um, with each other, it's a silly example, but you know, we, we can all probably identify times in our life when we have come together with people who get it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that the experience of coming together with people who get it mm-hmm. can be incredibly empowering, but that is not the same thing as being placed with others just like you. Yes, yes, yes. And yes. so that's a defining difference. That's really you know, a good so, thing. Yeah. So, you know, if you look at, for example, um, uh, just the history, it's just been so, there's so many great examples, but the um, anti-racism, um, anti-slavery, um, black liberation movement, for example, is one thread through history. I would say it's not a thread so much as a blanket covering history, because it honestly, this is not the topic of this podcast, but really, um, sla- it's um, slavery too, but um Racism and the oppression of black people and people of color under my under pins our entire society yes yes so but um, 
I feel like I'm I'm needing to back back talk in order to make sure that I'm not um, suggesting that it's just a thread because it's such an important point. But yes. if we look at that history, we can see very very clearly that voluntarily coming together with other people who get it and in a safe space that allows exploration of personal identity, um, liberation from the low yes. or negative expectations of the oppressor, um, and the constructing of a movement is mm-hmm. incredibly powerful. And you can also see in that same history um, mm-hmm. the negative effects of segregation, ghettoization, um, you know, and and congregation mm-hmm. in in all kinds of examples, mm-hmm. historically and currently. Mm-hmm. And I think that Crip Camp is the same thing. Mm-hmm. So that particular camp was a great example of something that was scaffolded and supported so that kids got to, one, experience something that was previously unavailable to them. Um, and presumably it was done in a way where they got to come together um, with other people who got it. Mm-hmm. But there's also... Um, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of examples of segregated summer camps um, that did not result in powerful world leaders um, and and world changers. In fact, you know, they are examples of the the kinds of negative, um, abusive, undermining um, experiences that other segregated and congregated programs have had. So... I think um, that difference between coming to voluntarily coming together with other people who get it yes. is different from being placed yeah. with other people just like you. There, there was a line in the, in, in the documentary, though, that I thought was really telling. Up, um, there was an interview with um, with one of the guys who was at Camp Jened, um, a current interview with him today mm-hmm. um, from his experience in, in 1972 when he was there. <clears throat> he had spina bifida. And um, he was in a regular educational situation at home in New York City. Uh, but he, he said everybody, you know, his experience in, in, in high school was that everybody treated him with these kit gloves, like careful that he didn't have a, U, you know, UTI and, uh, you mm-hmm. know, all these kinds of you know, notions about his disability. He said, but when he got to Camp Jeanette, he was the cool kid. Like he, uh, because a lot of the other folks at Camp Jeanette had other kinds of disabilities that had impacted their communication or their physicality. He was able to get around. He could speak very smoothly. But he said it was the the staff there sort of just let, they treated him, they treated everybody just like they were, Teenagers. You know, he said there were it was they were you know as a sex and rock and roll and marijuana you know and, and I'm the, the you know those kinds of things aside back in the seventies that was you know an era of those kinds of things but it was pretty much that he even though he was included in 1972 in his high school and he participated in everything in high school. He really wasn't liberated until he had this opportunity. And I thought it was, it was really an interesting point for me as an advocate to think about it because we always talk about inclusion. We want people. And what was it that empowered him uh, to really make him become really a future leader 
mm-hmm. disability advocacy, and mm-hmm. he really felt it was Camp Jeanette. It was not the inclusive education that right. he got in the New York public school that he happened to go to. I, I think that's really fascinating. I think, yeah, I think it sounds if we're if we're comparing um, Crip Camp to schools, yes, there's. There's lots of of really really good and important critique of the velcroing of an EA to student. Um, lots of important critique around low expectations, around overprotection. Right. Um, you know, very often that velcro EA is there as a as a loving overprotection, but ultimately it really undermines people's. Right. Uh, opportunity to really be fully themselves and a member of the classroom. So I think, you know, the, again, I haven't seen the film, but what I'm hearing really is the importance of really letting people true, supporting people to truly fill the valued social role that they're in and not treating them like, um, like a sub sub section of that role you know mm-hmm. you're there but we're going to kind of protect you and coddle you and right. you know not expect too much and not make it too hard and um it begs, yeah. you know i mean i think this begs uh, a current question for advocates uh like us whether we're family members or professional advocates or or, or wherever we find ourselves in the movement um it, it, it begs really an important, I think, distinction about um, inclusion, you know, being a part of something and empowerment. Mm-hmm. And um, sometimes inclusion doesn't lead to empowerment. Mm-hmm. And, well, sometimes uh, school doesn't lead to empowerment. That's correct. Right. I, I mean, I think there's there is definitely a there, there's definitely need for us to recognize like what is the limit of what we can expect from people in our current general education system and you know people talk about the fact that the education system is broken and I always maintain it's not broken it functions exactly as it was intended to right right so an empowerment yes not not part of the point right right Right. so and camp actually yeah. In many ways, that experience of going away and being out in the yeah. out in nature and trying your skills and putting your body to the test and you know learning new things and meeting new people and having this cloistered um, social experience, yeah. you know, like so very intense relationships yeah. can can be formed in these very short periods of time as you work together to to. Um, you know, overcome challenges and figure yes. things out and support each other through your homesickness and all of those kinds of things. So I agree with you that empowerment is important, mm-hmm. but I feel like expecting it to come from inclusive education alone sort of doesn't just, yes. uh, it, it doesn't recognize the fact that our school system is not built yes. to be creating those experiences yeah. for any child. Yeah. That, it's almost yeah. like a fluke if you happen to be the head of the football team or something like that, but otherwise, not so much. Yeah, it does cause us to have to think through. And this gets me maybe to our final question as we kind of get close to the uh, to the end of our conversation today, Jeanne, and really appreciate you taking the time. This is such a, uh, a cool uh, thing to talk about and think about, and hopefully the listeners are really getting jazzed about 
what you know what does this mean for us as advocates what does this mean for the movement um and and that that gets me to the i guess the last question and that is what do you see as the next really big issue um uh, you know that we need to think about as advocates in terms of creating a good life uh, mm-hmm. for people and and what what is the you know i know we've talked a lot about social capital we've talked mm-hmm. about you know employment we've talked about um, empowerment today in this conversation. Mm-hmm. What, what's your thoughts about the really the next big thing? So I think that there's probably not a next big thing because I feel like, you know, we kind of, I don't think there's anything new we haven't, not you and I necessarily, right. but as a movement, I don't think there's anything new that's going to come out that's going to solve all of our problems. Mm-hmm. But I do think that, I do think that there is a, ongoing and significant um, undermining um, phenomena related to people with um, disabilities. And it's the ongoing deprivation of experience. So whether it's, you know, less opportunities to do things like going to sleepover camp or whether it's school or whether it's, you know, the, the decrease in sleepovers or extracurricular activities or world travel or, you know, even just being able to, you know, go out to the local park with with other kids, you know, the in general, we still see a very significant difference between the breadth and depth of experiences growing up that kids with disabilities have compared to kids without disabilities. And I think it's a major impediment to all good things in life, any of them. Yeah. Right this second, I think the thing I'm most worried about is how people with disabilities will fare during the pandemic. Mm. Um, and um, there's a few things specifically about that. Um, you know, the, the rationing of health resources in, in very overcome areas means that um, the fact that people with disabilities are devalued, discriminated against, and their quality of life is generally measured as lower by uh, people who don't know them than people with disabilities rate themselves. Um, all of that means that uh, people are more likely to have health resources denied or withdrawn. And then the other piece that's a major contributor right now, um, uh, I mean, I, if you live in a residential, a group residential setting, it's a massive risk. Um, but even if you don't, the the other piece that is a big concern of mine is that many, many hospitals, I would say, I would hazard a guess that all hospitals have currently in place visitor and support restrictions. And for people with um, intellectual disabilities in particular who may have communication issues, may not be able to advocate for themselves or express themselves and who are also um, devalued, discriminated against all the things I just mentioned, not having somebody with them uh, is, I think, a major threat to people's lives. Um, so that I'm very, very concerned about that. So one of the things that I'm working on right now is uh, a workshop to help people build a compelling argument to get them to get a bedside advocate in the door of hospitals if people need them. And then some guidance on how to be an effective medical advocate um, when you're, when you're in the door. Um, If people are interested in that, the registration information for that workshop is goodthingsinlife.org forward slash stay safe. Yeah. 
Wow. That whole medical safeguards issue, which I know you've been um, in front of and really have been a, a sort of a loud voice for, is really, really um, uh, such, a, such a critical issue. And this whole pandemic mm-hmm. um, phenomena really puts a spotlight on it. Boy, we could be talking for the next we could. The next couple uh, days uh, about this, Dina. Uh, but we really appreciate you coming on. You've been listening to the Call Me Al podcast, and we've been listening to we've been having a conversation with Genia Stevens, who's the initiator of the Good Things in Life, um, light uh, educational system podcast system. Um, she's been a um, an advocate extraordinaire, both as a family member as well as as, as well as a professional in, in sharing and, and, and getting people to come together. Gina, thanks so much for taking a time to, um, to chat with us today. We're going to do this again because there's so many more things that we could broach. So thank you. Thank you so much. I look forward to doing it again. I wish I didn't have my earbuds in so that my kids could hear your very, very flattering accolades there. That would have been like a <laughs> nice feather in my cap since we're doing this um, during this time of uh, sheltering at home. Um, thanks so much, Al. It's, uh, it's been a great pleasure. Great, great, great to have you. Uh, you've been listening to the Call Me Al podcast. Um, uh, sponsored by the Interdependence Network. Uh, You can find uh, the Interdependence Network at www.buildingsocialcapital.org. This podcast is produced uh, by Side Project Incorporated and is uh, underwritten by Connect Community, uh, a brain injury service system um, uh, located in both British Columbia uh, as well as in uh, Ontario. Uh, Thanks so much, guys, and um, search for us again. We've got another good conversation coming right around the corner.